I want to invite you to turn again in God's Word to Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Again, there's some Bibles located under the seats in front of you if you need to borrow one of those. We're going to be looking again at Ephesians chapter 5. Reading will begin in verse 18 down through the end of the chapter. One of my great desires as a pastor is to see the glory of God revealed in His Son Jesus and displayed in His sacrificial, sanctifying love for Christ, uh, of, of Christ for His church, manifested and, and, and displayed and magnified in our relationships with one another. I think that is at the heart of what it means to be called, for the church to be called the body of Christ. We are inseparably united to Christ, our head, by His sacrificial love and grace. And thus we are, as we've seen, joined together with one another as a church in submission to Christ in order to display His glory and, and to dispense His grace to each other and to the world. And we do that by living our lives in relationship with one another and with the world, enlightened by the truth of God's Word. And equipped with the, with the grace of Christ and empowered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to live out that grace together. And my heart's desire for our church here at Ambassador is that God would be glorified and Jesus Christ would be magnified in our lives and in the lives of, of others in our community as they're transformed and as we live together in the truth and grace and power of God in all our relationships. And Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, is giving us a very clear picture of what that kind of truth-based, Christ-centered, Spirit-empowered community is to look like. Blessed by the overflowing riches of God's grace, which he, with which he begins to expound in the early parts of that letter. We are united to Christ and to one another in unity and peace. We are to walk in love and purity and, and truth together. We are to be filled with the Spirit of God such that we overflow in joy and, and thanksgiving and harmony together as the body of Christ, His church. And then near the end of the letter, Paul turns his attention in a little more detail to how that is to look in the context of 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 those specific relationships within the family or the, or the Christian household, our own families. And we're focusing our attention for a couple of weeks on that primary relationship in the home between husband and wife. And that's what we're going to look at again today. And so follow along with me as I read from Ephesians chapter 5. Again, I'm going to begin in verse 18, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and read down through the end of the chapter. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Father, would you fill us now with the illuminating, convicting, convincing, sanctifying work of your Spirit through your Word. Lord, would you make our lives, our marriages, our homes be filled with the harmony and the love and the grace and the humility and the power that comes by your Spirit through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we might reflect, Lord, all that is ours in Christ and all that you are for us and in us and through us to glorify yourself and to work your good and your perfect purposes in this world. Lord, would you do that for us this morning as we consider this text? And would you bless the preaching of your word, Lord? Would you make my words your words and where my words aren't your words. Would you remove them from our minds and our hearts? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are two reasons why I wanted to spend a little extra time on this particular subject. The first is that we desperately need to recapture God's grand and glorious vision for marriage. And to understand and experience His divine plan and purpose and power for living out that vision of, of covenant love and faithfulness between a man and a woman. Both in society, but also to a great extent in the church today, we have settled for far too little in terms of seeing marriage as simply a convenient living arrangement that helps meet personal needs and that it's, it's too easily discarded or distorted by redefinition according to the whims of individuals or the ways of the world. And the world needs to see, and the next generation of young men and women need to know what a, a God-designed, Christ-centered, Spirit-led, grace and truth-embracing marriage looks like. And what love and joy and security and hope and, and satisfaction and fulfillment are found in such a relationship. So that's reason number one to stay here a little bit. Reason number two is that marriage is meant by God to be a visible portrait, a, a living parable of sorts of the union and relationship of Jesus Christ and His church. And that's what we looked at last week. The mystery of marriage is that God designed it at the pinnacle of creation, not simply to meet the needs of the man and the woman, though it did do that, 
but as one means by which God shows us and helps us understand and experience the redeeming, forgiving, persevering, faithful love of Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, for the church, for you and me as his bride. And that's reason number two. Marriage points us to God and to Christ and is meant to serve as a visible, visible dramatization, if you will, of the gospel. Now remember, I, I said marriage is one means of God displaying His love and grace. It's not the only means. And you do not have to be married, nor does God call everyone to be married, in order to see or know and experience that grace and that love of Christ. To call Christ husband is the greatest and only lasting joy. And that is true of everyone who trusts and believes in Him, male or female, single or married. Remaining single itself can be a high calling and commitment to faithful devotion and service to Christ as Paul himself knew and as he taught elsewhere. Yet even those who are single need to see, need to understand the covenant love of God that is displayed in marriages that are rooted and growing in the grace and truth of God. And central to marriage being a reflection of the relationship of Christ and His church, as we see here in this passage, is God's call within marriage for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and for wives to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. Now, even as I say that, which by the way, again, are not my words, they're the words of God in His Scripture, Already, some of you are conjuring up negative connotations, perceived notions, maybe even painful experiences based on what Paul is saying here. Which is why before we, we look more specifically at the details of what these distinct callings within marriage mean and, and what they look like practically, I want to take today to, to, to lay the foundation, if you will, for that distinction of specific callings for husbands and wives with which God has designed that relationship. We need to lay that foundation first because there are many who either deny that such a distinction exists or who dismiss it as some relic of outdated, ancient, patriarchal culture. But to do either of those things is, is difficult to warrant based on the teaching of Scripture here in this passage as well as in others. So I want to look more closely at what this passage tells us in general about the about the order and harmony of marriage in God's design of the husband's leadership and the wife's submission and the harmony that it is meant to bring into that relationship. Because as we understand the foundation for that orderly design, then we can better embrace with joy and, and eagerness our individual callings within those specific roles. And the first thing that we see is that this distinction of roles for husbands and wives, this orderly design within marriage, is not based at all on a particular, particular cultural view or limited to a particular group preference, but rather it is, it is tied directly to this divinely ordained relationship of Christ with His church. The uniting of husband and wife as one flesh, as we touched on last week in the sighting of Genesis 2, 24 and 25, is, the picture, is a picture pattern on the uniting of Christ to his church as one body. This is even more explicitly seen in verses 28 to 30, where Paul says, Husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. In other words, 
In the same way that Christ loves and cares for His church, that is His body, they are united as one. So husbands are to love and care for their wives as their own body. They are united as one in marriage. So the question we have to ask is, since they are united together as one, is there any, is there any distinction of, of roles in that relationship between Christ and His church? And the answer is clearly yes. Christ is the head and the church is the body. Paul makes that clear again back in chapter 1, verses 22, where he says, God has put all things under, God has put all things under Christ's feet and given him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Which leads to the next question Does that same distinction carry over into God's design, his purpose for marriage? which is patterned after Christ in His church? And again, the answer is clearly yes. Paul says in, verses, in, the, in those verses 22 to 25, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, of which He is Savior. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. And so we see Paul making this Comparison. Husbands are compared to Christ and wives are compared to the church. Husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loves the church and wives are called to submit to their husbands as the church submits to Christ. And let me just start by saying, husbands, our job is much, much harder. Now again, we're going to get into the details of what that means and looks like next week. But for now, it seems quite clear from this that in the midst of this profound, deep, unified, one flesh relationship that is God's design for marriage and of which there are two equal, gifted, uniquely created image bearers. There resides a distinct calling for husbands and for wives in that relationship that doesn't diminish or demean either person. But rather, it really elevates both in fulfilling the specific plan and purpose of God for that relationship. And if we can... If we can Grasp that if we can get a hold of that. That this is God's design. It's His plan and His plan is good and leads to good things. Then we can, with eagerness and joy, embrace that design. Not shying away from the huge responsibility and the hard work that it brings, but pursuing it with humility, hope, and courage. So why do we have such a hard time with this concept of God's order within marriage? Well, part of the reason goes back to verse 21, which sets the context for this whole discussion. Verse 21 speaks of what some call a mutual submission. Submit to one another, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The word submit here, which actually carries over to define the, the wife's particular calling in marriage, means to, to put oneself voluntarily and willingly under or to yield to another in love. It's not a forced, reluctant, begrudging subjection, but a willing, loving, humble serving of one another. And this call to a, to a mutual submission flows out of the command in verse 18, to be filled with the Spirit. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. One mark of a Spirit-filled life is a mindset of, of humility that, that willingly seeks the best of others in love and in service. And one indication of a Spirit-filled marriage is this, this voluntary yielding 
in love to one another, exercised within the specific callings that belong to husbands and wives. And this is true, and we should affirm that and preach that and call one another that kind of of spirit-empowered mutual submission. But that mutual submission does not necessitate the disregarding or denial that there's a distinction of roles that exists in the relationship of husbands and wives. The call to submit to one another as indication of the indwelling work of, of God's Spirit does not negate the fact that within the context of of His design and purpose for marriage, as well as in His design and purpose in other ordered relationships, God calls, particularly in marriage, the husband to Christ-like leadership and the wife to church-like submission. Most people who want to deny or disregard those distinctions in marriage stop right there at verse 21, as if to say what follows is no longer applicable. But Paul doesn't stop there. And he goes on to to explain what that mutual submission looks like in the marital relationship. For husband, that means leading and loving your wife, just as Christ, who as head of the church, exercised His authority in humble, sacrificial, loving, caring, protection, and provision for the church. And wives, that means a willing disposition to support and respect and follow and encourage and submit to your husband's leadership just as the church does to Christ. Those two distinct callings are defined in this context of of mutual submission, each giving and receiving in humility and love for the good and glory of the other. And as we grasp that, as we we see that lived out, as we come to understand exactly what that means, which again, we're going to look at more in depth next week. There's a, there's a harmony, there's a beauty that, that flows from two people, each uniquely created and gifted in ways to, to complement and complete one another, carrying out their God-given callings in a manner that reflects the truth and grace of God revealed in Christ and lived out in relationship to His church. It's not an issue of one being more or less important or more or less gifted, or more or less equal. Both are redeemed, both are precious, both are beloved children of God in Christ, created in His image. It's a matter of living out that design together in the manner in which God calls us. We see a great example of this, I think, in John chapter 13, where Jesus demonstrates His his love, His servant-like love, you may remember, by washing His disciples' feet. And there, as Jesus gathers His disciples for the Passover meal on the night before He would die, you, you remember what happened. Jesus wraps Himself in a towel and he, he got down on His hands and knees and He washed the feet of His disciples, of His bride, the church. And, and nobody there questioned Jesus' authority or leadership over the church when He did so. In fact, it actually shocked his disciples. They were not expecting such an act of humble, servant-like submission, serving his beloved in order to strengthen and encourage them and demonstrate for them how they were to love and serve one another. And and he did it precisely because, as John tells us in John 13, 3, 
that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things, had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew his, his position. He knew that God had placed all things under his power. He was in charge. He was the leader. And the most profound outworking of that, that leadership is to humble himself in servant-like love and provision for his own. Ultimately, laying his life down on the cross. And men, we need to pay attention to that. We need to think and meditate hard on that because as we'll see, God's calling for us as, as leaders in our marriages is not a license to become demanding or dominating or demeaning, nor is it to lapse into being uninvolved or indifferent or disinterested. God has given us the authority, He's given us the responsibility to lead and to love our wives like Jesus. And we need to take seriously the call to exercise that leadership in sacrificial, humble, courageous, servant-like love for our wives, just as Christ did for the church. That's a high and a hard calling. But God has given us a model for the roles in marriage in Christ and, and in the church, and those roles are, are not interchangeable or reversible. Husbands are called to, to loving leadership like Jesus, and wives are called to loving submission like the church. And sin has distorted our, mis our understanding it's distorted our acceptance and our experience of those distinct roles in marriage, and that has led to much pain and much hardship and destructive patterns and countless marriages. We must confess in our church and perhaps even individually in some of our lives that there's been much abuse of this teaching that has resulted in actually harming rather than creating harmony in marriages. But brothers and sisters, Christ came to redeem and to restore and to renew. And when by His grace we accept and, and, and exercise each of our callings to love Christ, husbands leading and providing and protecting your wife and wives eager and willing and supportive in following that leadership, then a marriage begins to thrive and pulsate with grace and love and truth in a way that God intended it to be. Now again, we'll deal more specifically and in detail with what that looks like for husbands to lead like Christ and for wives to submit like the church next week. We'll get into some practical day-to-day -day application of those roles as Paul defines them here. But before we go there, we need to see and accept and embrace this is God's design in order for the marriage relationship. And that it's rooted not in prejudice, not in any sense of pride or superiority or inferiority between husbands and wives, not in an inequality of status or value or gifting. It's rooted in God's divine, good, sovereign grace displayed in the loving relationship of Christ and His church. So husbands, remember you're called to love and lead like Christ. But you're not Christ. You're not Jesus. Your leadership, as we'll see, depends greatly on your own submission and dependence on God's grace for you. And wives, remember that you're called to submit to your husband as unto the Lord, but he is not the Lord. 
So your submission flows first and foremost out of the, the lordship and the, and the love and leadership of Christ in your own life. And let me just end with a, with a picture that I think captures this, what we might call the divine dance of marriage as it's meant by God. If you've ever seen a, a talented couple like, I don't know, Fred Astaire or Ginger Rogers, anybody remember who they are? Maybe you've watched Dancing with the Stars where there are some amazing uh, routines, dance routines that go on. But in a well-designed and a well-performed dance, the two people seem to move like one, don't they? They're gliding effortlessly across the floor to the, to the sound of the music. There's a harmony, there's a unity that seems so beautiful and so, so natural. Each one is, is, each partner is unique and distinct, taking different steps, moving in different ways, but together they seem to move in perfect unison. And yet, if you know anything about dancing, it doesn't come just naturally or easy. It takes work. It takes effort and practice. And there are times when you're going to stumble and step on each other's toes. But when it comes together in perfect harmony, where, where, where one is, is leading and the other perfectly complementing that leadership by following and filling in the various moves, it's a beautiful thing. And both are essential to the dance. Each is equal in importance and significance. The gracefulness and the beauty and the harmony of the dance depends upon each one carrying out their intended and designed roles. Two moving together as one. One leading. The other responding to that leadership. And it creates this beautiful thing. And that's like marriage. Two moving together in the dance of life as one. The husband lovingly leading and the wife supportingly submitting and encouraging that leadership. And God designed marriage to be that kind of a partnership that is harmonious, it's unified, it's equal in its purpose to glorify Him and to bless one another. And the gospel restores marriage to its original God-ordained plan and purpose. And in Christ, He enables husbands and wives to joyfully pursue that plan in the roles to which God has called each in marriage. But it begins with submitting to Christ and His grace. Begins with receiving His sacrificial, His sanctifying love and being filled with His Spirit such that we submit to one another out of reverence, out of fear of Him. Wives, submitting to your husbands as unto the Lord and husbands, loving your wife like Jesus. May God give us grace to engage in, in that beautiful dance in our lives and particularly in our marriages as He has designed it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your good and godly plan and purpose in the lives of Your people. A plan and purpose that began at creation was rooted in your covenant love for 
the man and the woman created in your image. And that reflected in your bringing them together as one flesh in marriage. And Lord, though sin has so deeply distorted and damaged that design and your work in many ways in our hearts and in our lives and in our relationships. Father, we thank you that your son Jesus, the faithful bride, continued to love to the very end such that he laid down his life for us that we might be received and welcomed and even now he is at work in us by your spirit sanctifying and and cleansing us and preparing us for that day when we will indeed sit at the wedding supper of the lamb robed and clothed in righteousness his righteousness and so lord i pray for us as your people and for particularly those who are married, Father, would you enable us to live out that grace in our relationships with one another in a way that reflects your design, your plan, your purpose. And Father, where there has been brokenness, pain, maybe even continuing even now, Father, would you remind us that you have come to redeem and restore, and to renew. And Father, we thank you that in doing that, we know truly your love for us in Christ. And as we come to your table now, Lord, we have a foretaste of, of that great love and relationship and union that we have with you through Christ Jesus, who laid down his life for us. And so prepare our hearts even now, Father. We come welcomed, not as those who deserve to be invited, not as those who have some high standing or place in your sight or can repay you with anything for your grace, but, Father, as those who are deeply in need, those who are sinful, and so help us, Lord, as we come, to come humbly. To come recognizing that it's because of what you have done. That we can know your great love. And we can live out that love in our life together, in our life with one another, in our homes, and in our marriages. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.